0: Disrupting ransomware, lessons from Europol, and how the Microsoft Exchange hack could impact your organization. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. What are the lessons learned from previous law enforcement actions that might be used to better detect cybercrime in the long term? To answer this, I'm joined by Matthew Schwartz, ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe. Good to see you, Matt. So recently you spoke with Europol. Tell us more.
1: Yes. Europol recently coordinated the disruption of the Emotet botnet, which it says was one of the most professional and long-lasting cybercrime services. So Emotet's fascinating. Like a lot of botnets that are still around, it started out life as a banking Trojan and then was reinvented over the years, lately becoming very modular. So users gained access to lots of different capabilities including a downloader which they might use to drop malware on systems for example we saw Ryuk ransomware and the Trickbot malware getting distributed by Emotet at some points at least until January which was when police disrupted the Emotet botnet operation so in the wake of that cross border effort i reached out to Philip Bamon, who's the director of strategy at the EU's law enforcement intelligence agency Europol and asked him about some takeaways from this effort from a law enforcement standpoint?
2: We tried to come up with a more comprehensive strategy, not just taking down the infrastructure, but really from within, take over the infrastructure and have a much more lasting impact in that regard. So that meant that we had teams just looking at the infrastructure, we had teams looking at the payment part, the cryptocurrencies, we had teams just dealing with the malware, with the victim site, with the victim notification part, and that all together know, with all the partners. So that's led by Germany, the Netherlands, you know, together with UK, US, France, Ukraine, Canada had this huge uh, success, uh, you know, by coming together and working together as a network.
1: Of course, this is why Europol was launched, to work across borders, to help coordinate law enforcement anti-cybercrime activities, since, of course, cybercrime doesn't respect borders. But the challenge as ever, is that criminals are continuing to build these sorts of services and bring them to market. And really, it is a market economy. They have customers. Customers are demanding new features, additional functionality. There's a lot of illicit money to need.
0: Indeed. So when it comes to cybercrime, ransomware evidently continues to infect numerous organizations and post massive profits. Are there any takeaways from the Emotet disruption to apply?
1: Great question. I asked Philip about how the Emotet disruption might be replicated to disrupt other kinds of cybercrime, including ransomware-wielding gangs. Here's what he said. Emotet was
2: offered as a service, meaning it was used by the criminals to distribute their malware. And a lot of times that was ransomware. So they were like a door opener for other criminals to deploy their malware. And in that sense, It has this other impact as well in other areas, such as ransomware or when it comes to bank intrusions and whatnot. So really take a step back. What we see is what we call a crime as a service model. So you have all the tools and services available in the underground economy to actually commit cybercrime, which also means that consequently that lowers the entry barrier for criminals to commit cybercrime because you don't have to have necessarily the technical knowledge to commit cybercrime, which also means, you know, there's a potential broader number of bad actors that can use those services. So in that sense, I think Emotet was the perfect example of a modular malware that supported different types of criminal activity, but
1: including ransomware, obviously. So by removing big players like Emotet, hopefully that's going to make it more difficult for criminals to distribute their malware and infect systems. But of course, police are never going to identify and stop everyone before crimes like this.
0: Okay. So what do you think? What can be done?
1: Better defense. I know it's difficult, but time and again, that's what we're hearing. Criminals have this profit-making imperative, time is money. If you can slow them down, make their life a little more complicated, that can pay huge dividends for potential victims. So ensuring that you're blocking the likes of Imitet by having a strong password policy, making sure criminals can't brute force hack their way in. When I was speaking with Philip, he emphasized two-factor authentication, using it everywhere humanly possible, but especially, for VPN connections and also remote desktop protocol. Attackers wielding ransomware love RDP. If they can get in that way, boom, they can distribute ransomware everywhere. Phishing is another big attack, big vector used by ransomware and also for distributing business compromise, other scams like that, additional types of malware. So if you can put in place some user awareness and training from the CEO on down, and also some anti-phishing defenses, technology, that sort of thing. That again, can pay huge dividends because you're making it much more difficult for ransomware attackers to get inside your organization. Penetration testing is also great. Anyone with external expertise that they can bring to bear on your network and help you build a better profile of the risks that you might be facing so that you can help get them locked down. Yes, this is gonna take some time and money and focus, but it's still a lot cheaper and less of a hassle than trying to deal with an outbreak.
0: Great. Well, Nat, thank you so much for that insight. And I really thought your discussion with Philip was nothing short of fascinating, a really rich insight into the state of ransomware today. And I look forward to the next one.
1: Thanks so much, Anna. Talk to you soon.
3: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: This is The Real Deal says Chris Krebs, former head of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. He is, of course, referring to the massive Microsoft Exchange hack, which sent shockwaves across the industry this week, from security experts to the White House, as it emerged that the Zero Days attacks have impacted at least 30,000 organizations across the United States. So how could the Microsoft Exchange hack impact your organization? To answer that question, here's ISMG's Jeremy Kirk, Managing Editor for Security and Technology.
3: The mass exchange server compromise is both a mess and a mystery. There's a frantic patching and cleanup effort underway right now. And time is running out for the much uglier impacts than simply backdoored exchange servers. Think ransomware. On Wednesday, the first proof-of-concept code emerged for the exchange vulnerabilities. That means cybercriminals will be able to use the flaws to attack vulnerable exchange servers. Although Microsoft released patches on March 2nd, there are fears that many organizations running on-premises exchange servers that haven't been patched are at risk, and it could be tens of thousands. Allison Nixon is chief research officer with Unit 221B, which is a New York-based cybersecurity company. Although attacks so far have been seen from as many as 10 known attack groups, she expects that the public release of exploit code will draw in the ransomware crews. As
4: soon as the POC gets released, Uh, a number of different threat actors are going to get a hold of it and install all kinds of different malware on these machines and eventually one of them is going to come around and either wipe the machines or install ransomware and at that point it's game over thanks for playing
3: there are worries that small to medium-sized organizations may not even know they're infected nixon and a group of researchers launched a website called check my owa which is short for outlook web access the service is based on a lucky break Nixon says researchers managed to get an enormous list of Exchange servers that were infected in the first wave of attacks. Nixon tells me she can't reveal who found the victim list or where it was located. However, Microsoft has said that the initial attackers, which it calls Hafnium, used US-based virtual private servers, which could be a source. It's still unknown, however, how that vulnerability information leaks so quickly to other attack groups before Microsoft patched. Nixon says the victim list contains 86,000 IP addresses of Exchange servers that were likely infected worldwide. So far, Check My OWA has sent 1,032 alert emails to people who wanted to check the lists. Nixon says it has also alerted 309 people who visited from IP addresses that are on the lists. Here's Allison Nixon again.
4: And many of these organizations are already aware and they're already working on remediation, which is awesome. But the whole point of the site is to reach, hopefully reach those people that haven't been made aware yet or don't realize that they have
3: a problem. Although the flaws can be exploited to plant a backdoor that allows access to email, they can also be used to pivot deeper into other infrastructure, which poses a wide-ranging and long-term risk. And that poses an interesting question. Why are organizations still using on-premises exchange servers rather than hosted exchange, which would leave patching in the safer and faster hands of Microsoft? Turns out it's a long, complicated story. Web-based exchange isn't as customizable as on-premises exchange. Just switching over is far from trivial, given how exchange is woven in deep and weird ways into organizations. The reasons are varied, but they range from routing issues to user permissions, compatibility and compliance reasons, to even enabling something as mundane as scan-to-email functionality. Katie Nichols is the Director of Intelligence for Red Canary. She says there's no right answer for every organization on whether to use on-prem or hosted exchange. It depends on each organization's specific network and their acceptance of risk. And also, she says, there's risk in the cloud as well.
4: I think that a lot of the folks who are saying, no, everyone everyone who doesn't move to the cloud is is you know wrong, I think that's also misguided because having your exchange hosted in the cloud also has risk, it's just different risk. Uh-huh. And so it's a matter of which risk do you want to accept? Mm-hmm. Do you want to accept the responsibility for patching, maintaining an on-premise exchange server? Or are you willing to accept the risk of
3: your cloud provider being compromised, in this case, Microsoft? For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.
0: And finally, last year saw a rapid shift to remote working for most organizations worldwide. So how will this new style of work from anywhere impact our business resiliency plans? Because, as our VP of editorial Tom Field points out, all the plans we had and the training we administered were originally designed for people who primarily work in a central office. So he asks pandemic expert Regina Phelps, how do we now adapt to train a new world of all home branch offices to prepare for the next emergency down the road? Here's Phelps
4: this is going to be an issue for any business. And what they need to be thinking about is they are reinventing themselves, especially larger companies that have multiple locations. What they need to be thinking about, I'll go back to your other word, pivot. How can you pivot one region of a facility? You know, So like where you are in the Northeast, you get hammered by a snowstorm, everybody loses their power at home. How can you then pivot that work that's time sensitive and mission critical to another company location? If you're in an area where you only have certain people in certain locations that can only do certain jobs. They're going to have to rethink, would they send them to a centralized hot spot, if you will, where they could actually work like we did in the old days, 15 years ago or so, but they're going to have to go back and look at that because it's going to be an issue. And you can bet like in your region with the Northeast, Florida, and certainly along the hurricane zones of the United States, California, and the wildfires and earthquakes, these regional disasters are going to pop up and we're still going to have to be able to respond and keep our businesses working. So business continuity plans are going to have to be revisited significantly in order to be able to respond effectively.
0: That's it from ISMG's security report. Theme Music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.